morning, I want to invite you, if you have your Bibles, if you would look at Job chapter 31, and we're going to look at verses 2 through 6, and then we're going to look at verses 13 through 23 um, this morning. Now, let me give you a little bit of context for our scripture. Most of you here probably are familiar with Job. Um, Job was a book in the Old Testament, and it was about a guy who um, was very wealthy. He had a lot of money. Um, he had a great family. He had great employees. I mean, everything was going super well for Job. And then you remember in the story that the devil comes into the courts of God and says, hey, the only reason Job is following you is because you have made life so good for him. And so uh, God says, well, hey, you're, you're free to test him, but don't take his life. And so we find in the story that Job's family ends up, there's some violent, um, a violent wind, his kids end up, dying he we find that his health gets jeopardized we find that he loses his belongings and he's reduced to kind of living in an ash heap i mean it's just really a bad situation but job refuses to renounce god and to to come on top of that he has some friends that come to help him along and you know you would hope friends would come to encourage but they come and say job you know dude um you must have done something to tick god off because look at where your life is at and instead, Job says, I haven't done anything that I know of. I've really tried to live rightly. And, and so in this particular text, we find Job kind of talking about some issues that do pertain to kind of justice issues that Job says he has tried to do well. And so let me read those for you today. And starting with verse 2, For what is our lot from God above, our heritage from the Almighty on high? Is it not ruin for the wicked, disaster for those who do wrong? Does he not see my ways and count my every step? If I have walked with falsehood or my foot has hurried after deceit, let God weigh me in honest scales. God test me. See if I'm really being just. And then he goes on in verse 13. If I have denied justice to any of my servants, whether male or female, when they have a grievance against me, what will I do when God confronts me? What will I answer when called to account? Did not he who made me in the womb make them? Did not the same one form us both within our mothers? If I have denied the desires of the poor, or let the eyes of the widow grow weary, if I have kept my bread to myself, not sharing it with the fatherless, but with my youth I reared them as a father would, and from my birth I guided the widow, if I have seen anyone perishing for lack of clothing or the needy without garments and their hearts did not bless me for warming them with fleece for my sheep. If I have raised my hand against the fatherless knowing that I had the influence in court, then let my arm fall from the shoulder. Let it be broken off at the point. For I dreaded destruction from God and for fear of his splendor, I could not do such things. And what just Job is telling us is that he said, I, I couldn't stand in the way of injustice. I had to stand for justice, and I have tried to live in that space. So let's go before the Lord as we come to this moment in prayer. Lord, I pray today as we come and we begin this conversation around justice, that, Lord, you would just open our hearts to hear what you want to say. Help us to receive your word. Lord, stir our hearts, move us, not only to know, but to act. And so, God, we thank you that you promised to be with us and what you're teaching us and what you're doing and for your presence with each of us, we ask in Jesus' name. 
Amen. So today we're going to talk on what about justice and want to talk about the biblical perspective of justice. And there's a lot we could say from the Bible, um, but trying to just give a thumbnail kind of perspective as we walk through Scripture. But as I think back over my life, you know, as a young kid, my first recollections of justice, I have two stories that kind of stuck with me. One was when um, I was a really little kid, I remember going to the grocery store uh, with my um, mom, and in the town I grew up, it was one of those small little country stores, and it's the only store we had for miles, okay? And it had three aisles, but it had everything you ever needed. Um, it was the kind of store that I remember that when my parents butchered, butchered on the farm, they shot the cow, put it in the back of the truck, brought it up to the, the store. The store cut it up, put it in our meat locker, and that was good. So that's kind of the world it was, all right? But in the middle aisle, I remember going down it, there were these boxes. And the boxes had, the tops were cut, and you could open up the top, and in them were candy, hard candy. Now, it wasn't individually wrapped like today. It was just hard candy in there. And, and I remember looking at one of those boxes and finding the red and white peppermint and saying, ooh, that looks good. And so I snuck it while my mom wasn't looking, popped it in my mouth and thought, hey, I think I can get by with this. And so I stuck it in my mouth and I was eating it. Um, and then all was good until we were getting in the car and mom happened to catch a glimpse of it in my mouth. And then all Dickens broke loose, right? And uh, my mom had me marched back in to the owner, and I had to apologize and tell him what I did. And, and of course, I didn't have any money, but she'd offered to pay on my behalf. So my first response of that kind of legal kind of justice. A second response was when, um, story when I was a very in small elementary school, we had a girl in our class that she would come to school, and her clothes were kind of tattered, a little bit more dirty. She had a smell to her, I remember. And um, people, the classmates just didn't like her. Uh, maybe you had a person like that in your class. People just made fun of her. And I remember on one particular day that something was stirred in my heart, um, which wasn't always my case. But on that particular day, when we went to the playground, I remember just feeling compelled to spend some time with her. So I remember playing with her throughout that recess. I actually had a good conversation. It seemed positive. And, and I like to think that at the end of that, day, that conversation, you know, uh, um, I was uh, really willing to stand up for her that I really, uh, because when, but I got a feeling when my friends started to make fun of me and said, Mitch, um, what are you doing? Is she your girlfriend? And, you know, as a little boy, it's like, no, she's not my girlfriend, right? But I like to think I was nobler and said, yeah, no, she's a cool person, you know, all of that. I don't really know how I responded, but I do know that in the days that followed, I didn't play with her at recess because I didn't want to get labeled again. A form of wanting to stand for justice, but not willing to make the stand. So I, those are kind of my earlier recollections, and I know those are very minute kind of ideas of justice, but my earliest memories. And justice is one of those words that's becoming much more popular within the lives of many congregations. But when I was a district superintendent, when I would talk to churches about justice, and we would have conversation, I found that people really struggle with what is justice or how do we really live that out? And it's one of those big picture kind of things. It's not like evangelism. I mean, evangelism, I know I go share my faith with somebody. I can do that one-on-one -on -one, and that seems a little more doable. But when you get into justice, that gets a lot bigger and a lot more complex. And in fact, today, justice not only is complex in just understanding it, but it has a lot of emotional ties to it as well. You know, we know that today there are lots of issues of justice 
depending on how you view them and your interpretation of them, can stir up a lot of emotional response. So I can name many things today, but just let me name a few. I'm not going to speak to any of these. I just want to name them to see if it invokes any kind of response in you. So if I was to say George Floyd, or January 6th, or immigration, or climate change, we could, we could go on and on down the list. But I've got a feeling if we name those and many others we could have some very lively discussion by the end of worship. And uh, I can tell you I had have a number of letters um, in my box on Monday morning. Um, so I do find that, you know, we just know justice invokes a lot of feeling and a lot of emotion. So today what I want to do is just kind of lay out a biblical perspective of justice, um, what our overall arching theme is, and then Daniel's going to talk next week about mercy versus justice what, are, what is the difference? Because a lot of times those get confused. And then we're going to talk about, with Pastor Marie on the last Sunday, she's, going, she's our point person for um, justice, and we're really trying to do some focused justice work in the city of Wichita. And so she's going to talk a little bit more about ways we can get involved in doing justice, because this is a huge thing with lots of fingers that can go out multiple ways. So first of all, what is justice? In the simplest form, justice is to make right. It's to make right. That people are, and I like what World Vision states it as, that justice is people living in right relationship with God, right relationship with one another, and right relationship with natural creation. So when we think of justice, it's really being in, living in the right relationship with God, one another, and creation. And if you remember several weeks ago, if you were here, we talked about what is the kingdom of God. That's a pretty good, what we talked about definition of what, what the kingdom of God is. It's being in that right relationship, that ideal relationship that one day God is going to invoke on the earth in perfection. Now, where do we find what is just? Well, first of all, I believe we have to go to God. If God is the one who created all things, and we, we have to look into the character of God. And so when we look, we know that God is holy. We know that God is all love. We know that God is good, that God is merciful. God is just. So God is the ultimate standard for justice. God is the one who sets what it is and what it means to be just. Now, there's a word in Scripture, one of the words for God is Elohim. And does anybody want to take a guess at what that word means? It means just or God of justice. So whenever you see Elohim, it's talking about a God of justice. It's one of the characteristics of who God is. So we're going to break it down then. There are two words in the Hebrew that really talk about what is justice. And these kind of frame out two different ways. So I just want to, I want to paint a picture for you. This may be an oversimplification, but in my mind it works. One side is going to be represented by this word, and it is the word tzedakah, which means standard. So on one side, think of this, this is kind of the legal side of justice, all right? So it's really, so we look at God, God sets the legal standard. What is, what is really right? What is just? God sets that out there and determines it. In fact, if you look at Job that we read this morning, Job, at the very end of that very first part we read, when he talks about, let God weigh me in honest scales, 
God is the one who sets the, what the balance is. God sets what the scale is, okay? So it's not your eye, it's ultimately God that we find. And now here's the deal, folks. When we start talking about this standard, it's very, it would be great if it's just super clear. Like, it would be great if we just had God's mind totally in vantage point. That we had it all figured out, right? But has anybody found it's always super clear? Yeah, it gets really muddy. And what I find is when we get in this topic of talking about justice and what is, we know what the ultimate standard should look like, but that we live in a fallen, broken world where things have gone in multiple directions, and now we're trying to interpret it and make it all fit together, and it doesn't fit together well. And so that's why it's super hard for us to try to make it just so solid all the time because it gets so muddy as we deal with it because we live in this broken world. That's why we're called by the Bible to continue to seek Scripture. We're continued to seek God. We're continued to try to listen to the Holy Spirit. We're also to remain humble. And we're to extend a lot of grace towards one another as we try to figure this stuff out. Because we're trying to press in and hear, God, what are you trying to ideally get to and how do we get there in a world that's very muddy and messed up? Now, this Tzedekah, as I shared, is the legal side of God. So just, we're going to hit this very quickly, then I want to move to the second word. This is that God is just, and that because God is just on a legal side, whenever you have justice, that means that there's a consequence when things don't meet the standard, right? So we know that we expect that of our law, right? When somebody, if somebody comes and steals from you, I got a feeling that if they get caught, you're probably, or I'm going to probably expect that something happens, right? I'm probably not going to be happy if the police say, aw, I'm sorry, that was a bad thing to do. Go home and don't do it again. Probably not going to go over super well with us, right? We, we want to see a consequence for that action. And in fact, we see that in the Old Testament. I mean, the Old Testament is pretty heavy on this. Um, we see Adam and Eve, for instance, when God said, if you eat of the tree, you are going to what? Die. I mean, it was pretty blunt, right? And what we find is, in fact, they do one day die, right? Um, we see in the Old Testament, there was the laws like an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth. How many are for bringing that back? Probably not. Um, I don't want to see, but that was the consequence we see in that law. And, but we see a lot, when we jump into the New Testament, we see this grace of God working with legal matters. Because we know, like in Romans 3.23, it says, Who has sinned? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? Romans 3.23. Romans 6.23 says, Then the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. That we find that God, we all probably know this, but just to recash, we know that God said the consequence for falling short is to die, but I have chosen to come amongst you, put my, your sin on my son. My son, when he went to the cross, has now died for your sin, put you now right with God. And when you put your faith in Christ, the standard has been now met. It's not by how good you are, what you do. It's by your trust in Jesus that now sets you right with God. God has met the legal consequence when you and I could never be good enough to do it. That's that grace side, but that's that kind of legal side. There is a, a, that consequence that happens with this matter. 
Now, there's a second Hebrew word that we want to spend some time with, and it's called mishpah. Now, mishpah is that there's a, it realizes there's a standard, but it's the actions you and I are going to take to create the standard. So on one end, maybe with our own lives with God, but also, more importantly, with one another. Whenever this word is used in the Bible, over 200 times, it is dealing with people dealing with people who are vulnerable or oppressed or their lives or the poor. So it's this idea that we are supposed to, how are we going to help people have a right relationship with one another, right relationship with creation and in the world in which they live? And so it's really this key word of meshpah that's kind of key for us as we look. So meshpah is not just good sentiment, okay? It's not just like, oh, I hope things get better for you. I hope the world gets better. I hope people don't pick on you anymore. That's not, it's more than that. It's actually getting in the dirt with them and saying, how am I going to help raise you out of your situation when you're finding yourself in an unjust world? And that's really where we see Job is kind of saying, hey, if I've seen anybody in distress, call me on the carpet if I didn't try to step in and make it better for them. And, and that's really where this piece of justice is, that it's God is calling us then to get in the dirt with the vulnerable, the oppressed, and how are we going to get alongside them to help life get better for them, not just meet their needs, but how are we going to help change things so it gets better? And that's kind of the key piece. It's, more, it's deeper than just what Daniel will talk about in mercy ministry. So this, and it's, and this also we have to understand is it's not just for the people, okay, that are um, the same race. It's for people that are different in class, race, ethnicity, nationality, gender, social category. It doesn't matter. We're, all, we're working for the same standard for all people, the best of what we can where we are. Now, I know immediately you're like, whoa, this gets way big, and how in the, where do I jump in, right? Well, if you look, you just start where you can. Like, if you go in the Bible and you look in Acts, um, right after the church was formed, if you remember, there became a justice issue. It was in the church um, that there were the Jewish widows and there were the Greek widows. Now, the Jewish widows were of the famed people group. They were the good people group, right? And there was those Greeks, they weren't so good. Well, the Jews, their widows were apparently getting better fed than the Greek Jews. They were all in the same church. And the disciples called together some of the people and said, we've got to put some people over you to get this straightened out so it's equal. We need to be taking care of one another the same, not picking one over the other. We also know there was a time later in the church when um, they would have potlucks after wor- at, during worship, okay? When you're eating, you get to eat food. How many of you be all for that? I mean, kind of fun, right? Um, and so as they're gathering, the rich people would bring their huge baskets of potluck, and the poor people would show up, and they had very little to eat. Well, the rich people, instead of sharing it, they would share their food with one another. They all had all their food together, and the poor people there that were with them, they just let them kind of starve. You know, and and the, Paul says, hey, if you are not going to bring enough and equalize this out, then you keep your potluck at home when you come to worship because we need to watch out for one another. So there's matters of justice we see that were happening in the early church. Those are kind of very minimal, but things that we do see. So let me tell you, there's three ways that we enact mishpah. We're called to be aware of who are the vulnerable, who are the poor, who are the oppressed, who are the marginalized in our community. All right, 
and we need to respond with, we need to keep our eyes open in three different ways. The first one, we're keeping our eyes for who are abused, who has, is being affected by an abuse of power or systems of injustice. Who's being abused because of power or because of systems of injustice? Because here's the deal, y'all. When injustice tends to happen in a society, it tends to be coming down from the places where there's most power and most money. It, it just does. And, and it oppresses those many times that are on the margins or the poor or the vulnerable. So let's just show an example of this. And folks, again, I just use this as an example. I realize it's far more complex um, than what I'm acknowledging. But, so for instance, have you ever driven around Wichita and seen any payday loans? Okay. How many of those are in West Wichita? Probably not a lot. We have some around the area, but not a lot compared to other parts of the city. They tend to regionalize in areas where people don't have as many resources because they can't get money from other places, so it's a good place to get money, right? But the thing about a payday loan, I, mean, I, I granted, it's, it's meeting a need, it's trying to give money to people who don't have the issue is that in Kansas, does anybody know what the average interest rate is on a payday loan? It's 391%. Now, that's not the highest in the United States. The highest is 700%. Think about if you don't have a lot of resources, you go to a payday loan to get a fund, you get money, and you get your money, and now you've got to try to pay that off. Are you ever going to get out of debt? So it just keeps feeding on itself, right? Now, what are we going to do? Now, it's interesting, and I just show this as an example, that a payday loan, those companies tend to be owned by national companies. And so those national companies have lots of funds. And so what happens when somebody writes their, their people, their, lawyer, their sender, and says, hey, what can we do about this? There tends to be a, like a, a lobbyist there, right? That says, hey, that's a bad idea. Here's all the reasons we shouldn't do that. And, and I'm not speaking that we shouldn't have lobbyists and all that. I'm just saying that those systems, to, though it may seem very unjust, getting people to actually do the work isn't just going to happen because you or I write one letter because there's a whole lot writing in that whole political scene. It's going to happen because a group of people get together and say, this is unjust in our community, and they start to take action how do we band together to stand with those who are vulnerable to get those interest rates more in line with something that's manageable that they can do? That's a sign of when we see an injustice or an abuse of power that we're going to step in and we're going to try to do our best. That's what Martin Luther King did, right? When he saw the injustice of how um, black people were being treated in our nation. He said, this is unjust. They should be treated equally, and yet they're not being. And so he banded together people, right? He got people. They didn't have a lot of money, but they had a lot of people power. And they banded together and said, we're going to stand up for this. We're going to stand with the, one another and help each other rise out of this. And that's really what this kind of justice is. It's when you see something unjust, a system unjust where you are, how do you band together with others unless you have large amounts of money in your back pocket? How are you going to band together to help stand with them to make a change. And that's really what scripture is calling us to. Also, the second type of people would be not only those who are being, having justice by abuse of power and systems, but also just those who are being overlooked because they don't have a strong enough voice. So this might be like, um, we have here at, at Aldersgate, I'm really proud that Ember Hope 
offices here. Imba Hope is an agency that helps minister to the foster care system. And we know in Kansas, and, and according to April, you might know the number's different, but I think it's around 6,000 kids that, aren't in, that are in foster care in Kansas. It's a lot of kids, and many of those don't have homes at night. They, they have to put them in offices in various places just because there isn't, aren't people. But it does mean that when we see those people that are in the margin like that, how are we making sure and working with our representatives and others to help that there's more funding and not that just throwing money at something solves the problem, but how are we getting the things in play, what needs to happen in our community to make sure that no kid has to stay in an office overnight, but that they have a home and, and they're maybe getting a better, more equitable foster care system. What do we need to do to help that? Um, and that's just one of multiple things that we could get involved in, right? Where maybe are the places you're seeing the elderly are overlooked or the mentally ill or the handicapped. So it's where you're looking for, where do you see those people that are being overlooked that somebody needs to come alongside them and join with them and say, I see you and I want you to know God sees you and now how do we help elevate you um, and how do we help change the system around you? And then the third would be um, people that are being taken advantage of. And again, this would probably go back to like the payday loan, but where the poor are being fed off of to make other people rich. And we say, that's just not right. How are we going to step in? How are we going to change that? That could be on sex trafficking, where we see people are profiting off of children or, or women or, or young men and in ways that is unhealthy. And how are we going to try to stand with them to help set them free? That's that meshpa kind of piece. Those are the complex hard work of our society, right? Those don't just go away, and unfortunately, as soon as you feel like you tackled one, it seems like another one just wants to come right in behind. But that's our work as the people of God. It's trying to let people know that God has set a standard. God wants us to live in right relationship with himself, with one another, and our creation. And how, where can I jump in? Where has God put me around? Who are the vulnerable, the oppressed, the marginalized? God has put me around that I can help be a voice to them to help them live in right standard within the world in which they find themselves. So I would really encourage you as you move forward to think about those areas, walk into them, think about them. I'm always convicted by James 1, 27, when Paul, or James, the brother of Jesus, wrote, he said, just religion that God accepts as pure and faultless is to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. It's both and, right? It's live in right relationship with God legally, live in right relationship with one another and look out for the vulnerable and the oppressed around us. That's what I'm proud about as being a Methodist. And John Wesley, I mean, was a big with this. He helped the Methodists started forming orphanages and they did hospitals and they did prison reform and they worked with, for slavery and all kinds of areas to try to help those who were oppressed to lift them up, to raise them forth. So whether, you know, I think we have to balance out this justice. There's a, there's a consequential slide, and then there's a standing with those who are oppressed side that we always are weighing out and try to live that out well. Let me just read one last verse, and this is a verse about God. It's from Psalm 68, and God, it says, God is a father of the fatherless, a defender of the widow. God identifies with the powerless, and he takes up their cause. God is standing with those who cannot stand for themselves. And he calls us to do the same.